I got. It's another Dr. Stu's podcast. It's podcast number 110. It certainly is. And we're wow. here. We're back again. And we're happy to have you listening. And we want to thank you for tuning in on iTunes or on uh, drstuspodcast.com. And uh, you can find us on iTunes. You can email us at askdrstu at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook. You can send us a Twitter, a tweet at act, act Dr. Stuart Fishbein. Do you have a tweet account? A I account? do, but I never look at it. I don't even know how to work that stuff. Okay, so don't send any tweets. Don't send anything. I will never see it. Right. Yeah. Right. So. And then, uh, so it's really good to, it's really good to be back. Um, you know, we do two of these in a row, so it's like you and I didn't really go anywhere, but... Uh, this is uh, fun, fun, and you were looking in. You just said you just noticed something. I just, you, you know, to talk t- about. today, I, I, my f- beautiful, wonderful friend Sherry Payne out of uh, uh, Kansas, Kansas City. Uh, she is just such a wonderful advocate. Her organization is called Uzazi Village, and she's a woman that's been working in the community in the hospitals. She was an L and D nurse for years and years and years, and she really is just like coming out of the mainstream and over the years has come out of the mainstream and wanted to develop her own birthing center uh, in the heart of uh, Kansas City, uh, supporting families of color and and that sort of thing. And it's just been interesting, her journey. And so today, she writes a lot about her journey. So Sherry Payne, P-A-Y-N-E, if you want to try to find her on Facebook, she's very open about her experiences. And she's an amazing, educated, intelligent, talented giving woman. And so today, this morning when I woke up, I saw a post from her and it says, it's happened again. One of our clients were hotlined, and that means that they reported to the Division of Family Services. And it seems that so they, that's the same as what we uh, it's like CPS, Child, child, child Protective yeah, Services. Right. And she says that what is ha- what 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 she's noticing is that poor families, families of color, and immig- immigrant and refugee families who are not complying um, with, or maybe have a disagreement or want a second opinion in 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 a situation revolve involving their children that may be hospitalized, this particular person's child is in the NICU, um, uh, they're being threatened that if they do not do what the Uh, hospital is recommending, the doctor is recommending, that they're going to be reported to the Division of Family Services. And like I said, uh, Sherry's term, slang term for it is hotlined. And she's saying that she's seeing her clients hotlined and threatened with the loss of her children every week. Um, These are hospital birthing families, right? These are hospital birthing families, too. Um, They're seeing parents get bullied by the hospital staff, and it's just becoming the culture of the hospitals uh, that that these families are bullied. So is, is this reason number 722 to have a home birth? <laughs> 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 and so somebody, I'm, I'm not trying yes, to make light, but look, it's look, let me just say this. One, yeah. one, somebody asked her, you know, of course, what was the problem? What, why are they getting harassed? What did they, what didn't yeah. they do? What, what didn't did the family do? do? And so Sherry says, as I stated in the original post, it was a failure to comply with the demands of the hospital staff. In other words, um, there was a, uh, let's see, it was a feeding, some, she said a lot of what she's finding is parents, for instance, they have a baby in the NICU and they want to initiate breastfeeding and the hospital won't allow them because they have strict formula protocols for NICUs. So that's it. Now, first of all, that is not evidence-based. It has, it, it, preemies need breast milk just like anybody else and moms and who give birth to babies prematurely are supposed to be getting so, getting me, support in establishing breast milk supply in hospitals and things like that but it is true okay so okay. so they want to breastfeed their baby right. or they want to give their baby pump milk and give their baby some milk exactly and the hospital says no it's no. a violation of protocol right so then they re- they report them to child protective services right and child protective services comes and says what like 
oh, they wanted to give their baby what's re- what's medically recommended and, and, and you want us to investigate them? Or do they just kowtow to the hospital and say, I mean, I know you don't know the answer to this, but I mean, it's absurd. If yeah. I was an investigator and I got called for that thing, I would slap the nurse on the or the <laughs> hospital on the head. And then you would definitely get child protective services. Well, then you'd get, yeah. <laughs> you'd be arrested. Yeah. And, and, and the thing about it is that she had 70, 78, comments so far in 59 shares of this post and over and over as I'm reading the comments other folks that work in the system in the hospital system are saying oh yeah that that happens all the time at my hospital oh that happens at our hospital too oh yeah if, if somebody asks for a second opinion they become targeted for harassment from hospital staff and off, often with the uh, the uh, threat of child protective services being called and I do know that has happened in, uh, in California um, it happens all the time so it's just it's it's a systematic abuse. What, yeah, I that in and, and the mistreatment is and just and, and, where, and where does it come from? Does it come from hospital attorneys uh, doing whatever they can to to try to protect the hospital from liability? And why do they think it would be a liability? I mean, again, I know these are rhetorical questions. I'm just wondering where does the hostility come from? I mean, do you think it's racist? You think it's because you think this doesn't happen to white families? You I'm know, sure it probably doesn't happen. Oh, it does much. happen to white families. Right. It does happen to white families because we know we know cases of this happening to white families too, Stu. But the truth of the matter is, does it happen as much? Um, it it I don't know, but we do know we what people are reporting back on Sherry's post is that they're seeing it especially happen to single moms, young moms, people of color, that sort of a thing. Um, this is what people are self-reporting is going on. And, you know, I had funny that you asked me that because uh, our friend Kimberly, I talked about her two podcasts ago. She gave birth and I'm so excited and I'm helping her with lactation right now. She's one of our fans who has listened to every Dr. Stu podcast. And I told her that I gave her a shout out and she was ex- really happy um, she about had a bre- that. Breach birth, right? She had a breech birth. She had a cesarean birth. Um, her baby needed to be born that way. She had a really great doctor and he was cool with letting her, you know, go as long as she wanted in her pregnancy and things like that. And I asked her, I said, how did, you know, was he cool with you going to term? You know, he didn't push you. She said, no, but my hospital experience was awful. And come to find out she birthed in a hospital in Los Angeles that is pretty much serves under underserved population, low socioeconomic status, immigrants, poor folks, and all that kind of stuff. And it was so interesting to me because she is um, probably a middle-class woman, I'll say, Kim, if you listen to this podcast. And, you know, she ended up going to that hospital because her doctor thought it would be best for her to go there. I guess he was working there that day. But her experience was shocking to her. And when she told me the hospital she delivered at, I, I, I said, oh, <laughs> you know, when I work in South Central L.A., in Watts, in Compton, in um, Huntington Park, in all those areas, uh, that's the hospital that the moms there probably one of the few hospitals that they, they, that is one of the few hospitals that they can go to and it has a horrible reputation. Um, the breastfeeding support just for instance, which has nothing to do with her doctor and everything to do with the hospital support system was horrific. Funny enough, her mother-in-law who is, was there accompanying her is a nurse practitioner and she was horrified at the type of care, the quote unquote care that she received. Um, it, she said it was just the, the one, this they, of course, they wanted to force the, let's just say one small thing. They wanted to force the eye drops on the baby. And she said, well, I don't have sexually transmitted diseases. I've been tested. And they said, well, you might have it and not know. And, you know, they just kind of kept pounding her over and over again to 
put these eye drops in the baby because her baby, she might have chlam- chlamydia. And she said, no one bothered to look at my records to see that I don't have chlamydia. You know, and, and this, so when she I, she might have lied. And, and yeah, but you know what? I think she, about her going there <laughs> questioning and then, and, and, and juxtapose it to the folks that normally, um, that are the majority being quote unquote served by this hospital who aren't questioning, who aren't yeah. able to speak up, who feel like I just got to get the care anywhere I can. I, 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 you know, I, I have no other place to go, how they're being treated in this situation so it's really interesting and i told her i said i'm glad i'm not glad this happened to you but i'm glad it happened to you because i want you to write about this i want you to talk about your experience you know and so it's just really disheartening to listen to her story yesterday and then wake up this morning and read um my friend sherry Payne's post (sighs) yeah big breath okay so on that cheery note Ha. Okay, uh, for those people who listen, uh, tune into Dr. Stu's podcast to have a chuckle. <laughs> um, <laughs> Is this a we, segue? Well, no, it's not a segue because right now I'm going to get into a little feature, just a three-minute feature on what I'm going to call the healthcare absurdity of the week. <laughs> and, and that's not like care care. That's like the business side of it. I have two, uh, two things that happened to me this past week. Uh, one is I have a, a woman with a set of twins who's been having recurrent bladder symptoms. She was hospitalized uh, with a bladder potential bladder problem, but the cultures were negative, and she still continued to have symptoms of that. And so I I referred her to a urologist. Okay. And I just for the sake of people listening, even though this isn't the right uh, date now, this was April. I referred her on April 18th or 19th. Okay. To see a urologist, mm-hmm. um, and she's up in Bakersfield. Okay. All right. And I faxed all the information to her primary care doctor so that she could get the referral because they have to jump through hoops with their insurance to go through the primary care doctor. Who, and, then I, and then I faxed all her records to the urologist, supposedly, that she's supposed to see. Sure. She texts me this morning, and mm. she tells me that, it's again, it's April 21st today. She texts me this morning that she got an appointment to see the urologist on May 24th. Oh. Okay. Now... She's pregnant with twins and bladder infections, and the th- if she could has put her one, in preterm labor. could put her in preterm labor. There's potential problems, I, you know. And I've already treated her several times with courses of antibiotics. And I don't want to give her another course until I know sure, what's really what else going is going on. on. Yeah. I mean, you know, the first thing you do when somebody feels like they have a bladder thing is you call in an antibiotic for them. I mean, that's what that's what we're trained to do. I know that homeopathic people and stuff don't do that, but right. but if they try the other things and that work, we call it. But if they call and they say I'm not better, right. You don't call in another antibiotic for them. Right. You say, now you need to come in and you need to be seen. Right. So she's been seen a couple of times, even in the ER, and they can't really figure out what's wrong with her. So I wanted her to see urologist. Sure. It's going to take five weeks to get, a, get, to get her in. And, I, and so I just told, so I said to her, and I know that this probably will offend some people, but I said to her, you know, you do have the option of just paying. Just calling, making an appointment, saying I'll pay. And you said that's, that may offend some people because... Technically, he's not supposed to take. No, no, no. He can, you know. He can take cash. But you can get in faster right. if you pay cash. Right. <laughs> and and the idea of people paying for their health care. Right. A lot of people are don't think like that because they have Kaiser or they have. Right. You know, they have Medicaid or they actually right. have an insurance company that they're paying eight hundred dollars a month for their family for, and they say, well, if I'm paying that so much money, how come nothing's covered? And well, it's right. a welcome to the American healthcare system. Right. But you know, she if so, I told her that, and I haven't heard back from her. And then we started podcasting, so I don't really know. Oh what's happening the rest of this afternoon. But, you know, I wanted to get in the scene like either this week or certainly next week. Um, I don't want her to wait five weeks no. to be seen. The second outrage, all right, it's not really an outrage. It's, it's, it's what you'd expect is I have a, a woman who I referred for her 
annual mammogram for mm-hmm. her, you know, a routine wellness mammogram. And I don't do annual mammograms anymore, by the way, so I shouldn't say that, but that's uh, that came out of my mouth because that's what it's that always what it been. used to be, but now it's not Right, annual. I refer them uh, on, a, on a, I individualize my care. Anyway, she got a mammogram and it showed that she had some densities and they recommended that she have further, more digital mammogram and an ultrasound of her breasts. So she's over 65, she's got Medicare. So I sent her to, uh, uh, I referred her to the same place that sent me the, the where I, she got the initial mammogram. And they said that they no, could not see her, uh, that I, they couldn't take a referral from me because I'm a non-participating Medicare provider. What? They couldn't take so, the referral? So they could, re, I, they could take my referral for her screening mammogram, but they couldn't take my referral for her problem. So she had to go see another doctor. No, she, oh my God. Yeah, to get it's a, a primary care doctor so she could get a referral to follow up on the recommendations made by this very, this very radiology group because, oh because of the way, you know, and I don't really blame them because I know that if they did the, the study right. without being referred by the proper Medicare hoop jumper. They won't get paid. They won't get paid. Right. So they have to jump the, the hoops and everybody, has, and ultimately, if she had something wrong, which I'm happy to report the follow-up was negative, Good. but if she had something wrong, there's further delays. And, right. and, and for what reason? Why am I as a licensed physician with 30 years of experience right. not able to give a referral to have her get the recommended test right. by the radiologist. So uh, that just uh, uh, you know, it, remi- it reminds me, especially since you're talking More about, about <laughs> Medi- Medicare or Medi-Cal or whatever it is. You know, my my I'm a low income mom. I'm a student and and all that good stuff. But uh, my kid, my youngest kid, I wanted to change her pediatrician, and they I had to go through some hoops with her Medi-Cal and to change the pediatrician. And I said, listen, if it's it, you know, I need an appointment a lot sooner. And I know I have to now I have to wait two months to see this pediatrician because of the paper, the, the red tape. Yep. Right. Yep. So I said, so I want to see her sooner. So can I just pay cash? And do you know, they told me I they cannot accept cash from me because she, my daughter's on Medi-Cal. Medi-Cal. So right. if I want to see that doctor, I'm actually prohibited from seeing right. her. I can't pay cash, and if my insurance doesn't jump through the hoops fast enough, I just have to wait. No, you, have, you know what? You have to find a doctor that doesn't take Medi-Cal. Right. And I, then you can pay them cash. I, I hear that, but I wanted this specific doctor. I know. And I, I hear what you're saying. I had already and, and, done my research. And we, doc, as, we have, uh, as doctors, have just sort of bent over and grabbed our ankles and, and <laughs> taken it you know, up the wear, and, and we don't say anything because it's too difficult. It's, it's, it's climbing. Exactly. It's climbing. It's climbing Mount Everest without like, without oxygen. It's I feel just like not possible for we're us. We're all being kind of taken prisoner, t- kind of taken hostage. Oh, well, as you heard in the last podcast, we are succumbing, and what we're going to do when the next topic we're going to talk about is it goes on to talk a little bit. We're going to talk about one of the specific vaccines, and and it's the same sort of thing. Right. It's the it's the it's the brainwashing, the the right. the constant pounding of of ideas that are put forth by experts. Who probably many of them are true believers. Some of them, I'm sure, are paid shills, but uh, <laughs> many of them are true believers that what they're recommending mm-hmm. is right, or the uh, the system is the way it is, and we can't fix it, and, and and they don't do anything. And then again, since medicine isn't run by the doctors and the patients who provide the, who provide the right. the, the services, um, it's run by people who manage things in order to make it more profitable right. or more. Hoops, because you know, you know that every time they put up a hoop, a certain number of people will will not 
make it through. That's right. And then they don't have to pay for it. Right. It's the same reason when you try to file an insurance claim right. and you're initially denied. Right. And then they want more information. Right. And then you fill out more information. Yeah. And then you're denied again. Exactly. And then every time they do that, maybe 5 or 10% of people will right. just say, oh, screw this. I'll just right. pay it. Right. right. I, I have that all the time when, right. I, when folks try to get reimbursed for... Uh, my IBCLC, my lactation services, and I get so many letters and they keep asking me for more and more information. And finally, they just come up with something that just I don't have. And they say, okay, well, we, don't, we won't pay, we won't reimburse because you don't have a this or you don't have a that. And it has nothing to do with, it's just like they're looking for a reason. So anyway, I want to hear about this, this. Well, I want to talk a little bit, before I get into the HPV vaccine, okay. I'm going to talk a little bit about this documentary that just ran uh, oh, in yes. April. Uh, called The Truth About Vaccines. It was put out by a guy named Tyne Bollinger. A lot of people are talking about this. And the people who made The Truth About Cancer. Hmm. Um, I actually suggested to somebody who knows this guy about the possibility of doing a truth about birth. Birth. Right. Mm -hmm. Which would be really good if we could get that. Because this was a seven-part series. Each part was over an hour and a half long. And I watched all of them. Great. I stayed up night because I'm I'm an insomniac anyway. And I stayed up uh, at night after hockey w- after the hockey highlights were over, <laughs> and even though my team is not in it, oh. and um, but I did this, I, I was sort of happy that the Chicago Blackhawks got swept, so that was a good thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then to top it off, you watched the, the and, truth about vaccines, and then I watched the truth about vaccines, and each episode was about diff- a different set of vaccines, or about the CDC, or about uh, what's in a vaccine, or blah blah blah, or the all that's about the whistleblowers yeah. and. And it was, it was really good. And of course, I think it really does explain to you carefully that how the vaccine industry is being manipulated, that there's a lot of questions about vaccines and the idea that somebody would put through a bill like that everybody, right. you know, who breathes and eats in California, right. which, you know, will need a vaccine, right. which will make a lot of people be, want to leave California. Right. And by the way, that's coming. Right now, all kids, in order to go to school, have right. to have a vaccine, but they want to they want to control home uh, homeschooling. They want mm-hmm. eventually when you, you know, in order to renew your license or to renew your job or to go into a school or to be a PTA member oh, yeah. or whatever else you're going to right. be, have to be vaccinated with everything. Um, one of the ones they talked about was the HPV vaccine. Okay. And uh, not to get too, uh, too in the weeds about HPV vaccine, but uh, it came out, I think, 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, with a uh, vaccine against HPV 16 and 18. Okay. And then uh, a few years later, they they added in um, a couple, I think they added in a couple of the ones that caused genital warts. Okay, that's with and 6 and 11, I think. Uh, yeah, 6 and 11, that's mm-hmm. right. And then now they have a 9-valent nine, nine vaccine or um, that goes against more of the oncogenic vaccines and gets supposedly 90% of the viruses that cause cervical cancer. Okay. Right? So... Some people think it's a good thing. I was going to say, but that sounds like a good thing. It sounds like a good thing. However, if you watch the documentary, you understand that 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 the effects can tend to wear off. That the vaccine is filled with mm. adjuvants such as aluminum, toxins, uh, retroviruses, particles, DNA from from pigs and other things that the the virus has grown in. There's a lot of contaminants in there. Now, you're not giving it to a one-day-old baby. You're giving it to 11- and 12-year-olds or even up to, all the way up to age 26. Uh, they've recently added boys in. Of course they did. And, of course, they're going to add in adults, and they're going to add in boosters, and they're going to keep adding right. things in. Right. And the vaccine uh, uh, people that just you know go along with it are going to say this is a great idea. Right. And the reason I brought this up today is because there's a commentary in one of my throwaway journals <laughs> from a doctor from... Um, 
the American College of OBGYN, our old friend. <laughs> okay, she's the health policy uh, president for president for health policy at the ACOG in uh, Washington D.C. And she writes in a commentary. So this is an opinion piece that it is time for HPV vaccination to be considered part of routine preventative health care, meaning that it should be included if it's not already. I don't know if it is in the California um, vaccine schedule or not. It I, is for the... Uh, for the it, It's uh, part of the 72... Uh, uh, yeah, it is part for, of the schooling. The, for the uh, 11 to 12, I think. You're so right. in other words, mm-hmm. in order I, to go to school in California, yeah. in high school or it's junior high school, you have to have the HPV You're vaccine. given it in middle school. Yeah, it, well, so anyway, she, she goes on to talk about this and she says that that we, they, we could effectively eliminate 90% of genital uh, warts and 90% of all HPV-related cancers. Now, a couple things about that statement. First of all, I don't know how they know that because it hasn't been long enough right. that they've been using the vaccine to know that it's going to be effective 20 or 30 years from now. Right. Well, does she give any citations? Does she say... No, the, no it's an opinion piece. So okay, there's so no, there's no citations. This is her opinion. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, there are some references at the bottom. I, I stand corrected. Okay. Um, but again, I mean, when you give an opinion piece, you have an opinion. You right. pick the references that support your opinion. Okay. Mm-hmm. I will tell you that there were plenty of evidence and represents and experts who spoke on the on the documentary that think otherwise. Not only that, but this is a this is a, a vaccine where you know the cost has come down a little bit, but it's still relatively expensive. So you know you're giving it to people of higher socioeconomic groups you're not necessarily going to reach the lower socioeconomic groups which is why they want to make it mandatory right the problem is there's potential side effects to these right. things and again should this be mandatory right. or should it be optional and if you know if you live in a family that you know is a good say christian family who you know premarital sex is not something that they want to deal with or they talk about uh, do you have to do this because your kid might Right. Be sexually active. Right. Because this is sexually transmitted. And why are we giving it at 11 and 12? I mean, the the theory is if you give it at 11 and 12, it's more likely to be more effective than if you give it when they're 16 or 17 or 18 years old. The problem, of course, is that does it wear off? Right. And what happens when when a woman or a man is 25, 30, 35 years old? Now, granted, HPV is more likely to be transmitted in a younger person. Okay. And that's because uh, it takes rapidly dividing cells in order to replicate the... the, um, the virus. So and you're saying that the older you are, if you come in contact with the virus, it's less <laughs> likely to. Yeah, you know why that is? Because you're dying. Because yeah, because <laughs> your cervix ain't 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 uh, doing what it did when you were 20. <laughs> All right. Okay. So the cells on the outside of your cervix are doing. That's why the recommendations for Pap smears in women over 40 who are monogamous and HPV negative is right. you don't need to have them every year. Got it. Uh, probably not every three or four years, maybe five years. Um, it. That it depends on how what individualizing your care. But again, the standardized recommendations are the thing that bothers me the most, right. and especially if you watch this documentary. But she goes on to say something that, or, uh, she goes on to quote how this research was done. And I, and I looked at this, and of course, remember what I, I've said this many times before, that you can't look at the abstract, you can't look at the conclusions, oh, you yeah. have to look at the material and method section. Yeah. Okay, so I'm just gonna read this. She said, uh, the new recommendation is based on robust multinational data, all right? The robust is obviously an editorial. Yeah. Because I, I know, how, like, what does what, that mean? How do you, defi- what's how do you define the medical robust? definition of robust? Okay. <laughs> how do you quantify that? And she basically says 52 sites in 15 countries with 1,518 patients. Now, I would tell you that that's not... That is not a large... That's not... I would say robust is when you have, you know, like the uh, Women's Health Initiative with... Uh, Estrogen, where you had you know uh, fifty thousand women in right. each cohort, or the right. breast, or the Canadian breast cancer study, 
where they had like 50,000 women in each cohort. I mean, you mm. had lots and lots of people. That would be a robust. robust. Yeah. Okay. She says, she goes on to say, immunogenicity of two doses of the nine valent HPV vaccine given six to 12 months apart, okay, in girls and boys ages nine to 14 was compared with that of a, now I want you to tell me what's wrong with this comparison, okay, which was compared with that of a standard three-dose regimen in adolescents and young women ages 16 to 26. Huh? Wait, hold on, hold oh, on. Sorry. Uh, five cohorts were studied, boys nine to 14 given two doses on a six-month interval, girls nine to 14 given two doses at a six-month interval, boys and girls nine to 14 given two doses at a 12-month interval, girls 9 to 14 given the standard three-dose regimen, and girls and young women 16 to 26 receiving three doses over six months. Okay. What's wrong with that? Well, what are you comparing it to? I mean, you're, you're comparing you're the two-dose regimen to the three-dose three regimen. But are there two different age groups? Well, they're comparing different age groups. What aren't you comparing it to? You're comp not comparing. You're comparing. There's no. You're not comparing it to people who don't get the vaccine. There you go. And and not you're to so mention. Smart. You know, this is why. This is why Kimberly. This is why Kimberly <laughs> is the best <laughs> co-host on a podcast <laughs> ever. I did not mouth. prep her. I did not tell her. But you can take a deep breath because yeah. Your mouth to God's ear. How do you compare people who get two doses of something versus three, three doses, doses of something with somebody who doesn't get any dose right. with, a, with a placebo? You need placebo. Right. right. You, so in order to do a study, you need to know you need the double-blinded study. But not to mention, see, this is what I, this is the way I'm, I'm looking at it. They went to these other countries. I wonder what kind of informed consent they gave these folks. They were testing all these vaccines on. Well, we're only talking fifteen hundred people. Still, here, so, yeah, I don't know. Still, it's not a lot of people. But still, still. Oh, I'm sure they gave them. Do you understand what I'm saying? They probably said, "Here's a vaccine that will help you." You need this vaccine. You won't get cancer. Do they, these people even know that they were there? This was a study that they're testing the vaccine on them, and they're testing the dosage on them. Were they even given that information? That's what I would like to know. Yeah. So then she goes on to say that the trial results showed that the immune responses to the nine, of the 9 to 14-year-olds were consistently higher than those for the 16 to 26-year-old. So wait, wait, say that one again. Sorry. The, the younger, younger people responded, made better uh, oh. antibody responses so than they the can, older people. So they're trying to give reason to right. give it to you earlier. And she says, not a surprising finding since the initial trials for HIV vaccine demonstrated the same thing. All right. The interesting thing about her editorial is that there's nothing in here about side effects mm -mm. or about adverse reactions. Mm -mm. Okay. So are you saying that 1,518 women got this vaccine and not a single one of them had a side effect or an adverse reaction? And how can you write an editorial saying that you, because I'm going to get to her recommendations in a second. How can you write an editorial that says we should do this in all, all children in the United States? Boys and girls. And without at any, nine years without old. any discussion about side effects or adverse reactions. So again, I'm sure she means well. And I'm not picking on her. All right. I sort of am. Yeah, I, yeah. Am. I guess I am. I am picking on it. It sounds like somebody gave her an assignment. We need you to write this opinion piece on the HPV. You know who gave her the assignment? Merck. <laughs> you said it. Yeah. <laughs> but we're not picking no, on you. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. The, I mean, Gardas, I'm not sure who makes Gardasil and the other one. I don't remember the name of the other one. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I could guarantee, you know, would you be surprised? No. Would you be surprised if, if Merck, I mean, I know when I go to, you know, I haven't been for a while, but I am going by the time this podcast airs, I'll probably be at the ACOG convention, that I'm sure there'll be big booths and there'll be cocktail parties and all that sponsored oh, by who? Yeah. Merck and Merck. all the pharmaceutical companies. Correct. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, the, you know, it's kind of like, um, 
And that, and I also want to know: Does she disclose any conflicts of interest? No. So that you know, because when you again, it's an opinion piece, so she can have all the conflicts of interest she wants. It doesn't matter. It's an opinion right. piece, right? Because she's a because she's a big shot in ACOG, she gets the right to write an opinion piece. And that's in what this they, magazine. that's what a tutor does. That's what that other lady does. She writes these opinion pieces. You know, yeah, that one. Yeah, well, yeah, of course. We Everything don't, we, is an she's opinion. not mentioned on Dr. Sue's podcast, by the way. You violated. That's why I said the violated, other lady. You violated I, a, a, I swung a, my a, hand a, around yeah. like you know. Kimberly, you're, new, you're you're relatively new to the podcast, so we will <laughs> forgive you for that. But I you, just you, had to get that yeah. out. I want people, oh, so we can't it's, talk about it's her. It's she who shall not be. I was going to say. Yeah, it's like uh, Voldemort. Voldemort. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And actually, they call her that on the internet. Some that of the, some of the people we don't call we don't call her by her name. All right. So anyway, she goes on to say that her. Uh, what, does this, what does this new dosing regimen mean for practice? Right. Okay. It will be simple, simpler to incorporate HPV vaccination routinely into the standard vaccine regimen for pre-adolescent boys and girls. Okay. So why not just stick it in there because it's going to be easier easier to do that. But she really, this is really where it gets interesting. She says, um, counseling for HPV vaccination administration can be combined with counseling for meningococcal vaccine and routine Tdap, uh, tetanus diphtheria uh, boosters. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can you can sort you of bundle like, it. It's yeah, a bundle. You can bundle it in. You can <laughs> like say, here, here's this one which we know we use really good, and this one, you know, meningococcal vaccine. Oh, we got to have that one because you know a lot of kids are coming down with meningitis when they're when they're 12 years old. Um, <laughs> Am I being irreverent? <laughs> Go I'm, for it. Uh, it's, it's, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yes. Uh huh. I, I love that I crack you. I, lo- I love that. <laughs> so uh, and and so we're just gonna we'll just yeah. And then there's this other one and don't 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 look over there. Look, yeah. Look yeah, over there. <laughs> yeah. We 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 learned a few things about it. Yeah. So anyway, I'm not saying that you people shouldn't get the HPV vaccine. I'm saying that people should not be. It should not be mandatory. It should not be forced. So anyway, she goes on to say that notably, primary care physicians have reported. Perceiving HPV vaccine discussions with parents as burdensome. Say what? Okay. Okay. Because and they tend to discuss it at, a, at last after conversations about Tdap and meningococcal vaccines. Okay? okay. So she said Brewer and colleagues documented a five percent increase in the first HPV vaccine dose among patients in practices in which the providers were taught to announce the need for HPV vaccine along with other routine vaccines as opposed to discussing it as optional. In other words, let's not give informed consent. Let's skew our informed consent. And we're going to give informed consent. We're going to call it informed consent. But, we're but gonna, it's not really informed But we're going to announce that it's just part of your schedule and that you should get it. So she goes on and says, there was no increase in HPV vaccine uptake among practices in which providers were taught to, quote, discuss, unquote, HPV with parents and to address their concerns or to in, in control pra- or or in control practices, therefore, less conversation about HPV and the HPV vaccine, as distinct from any other recommended vaccines, is better. Whoa. Okay, this is written as her opinion. So basically, she's saying, don't talk about it. Don't you can say less is better. Don't you need this? Right. And when a parent has questions, if they ask too many questions, that's discouraged. We just, but see, that supports. I don't understand what kind of mindset says that sort of thing. What, I mean, what's wrong with my brain and yours, all right, that we reread that, and I read it three times and I underlined it. Because we don't believe that the people that are, are, are professionals, we don't just blindly believe that just because they are a doctor, because they are this or that, that 
that they always know no, what's we're, best we're, for us as individuals. Right, but we're going to write a piece where we, we, we talk but about... some people do think We that. don't have any proper controls. Right. And we don't talk about side effects, and we don't talk about adverse reactions. And then we're going to come up with a recommendation that says, the pediatricians admit that it's burdensome to talk about this fairly, so don't talk about it. <laughs> All right? That's your recommendation. So, but see, that goes... I mean, I, I, I bet, I'm sure some of my listeners right now are going, did, he, did, did Dr. Stu really say that? Yeah, that's it what it written. says. Right. Yeah. You just re- you just re- so so this is reiterated the, th- what this you is wrote. the thing about these throwaway journals is that you, you before you read them you should actually throw them away. <laughs> <laughs> but so. almost it goes back to my friend's post on Facebook where these parents seems were when parents are questioning the medical quote unquote authorities there's a threat for some parents they can be threatened for questioning different medical practices procedures things that are going to be done to their children. They can be threatened with their children being taken away from them simply because they're questioning. Yeah, and it's it, it's well, and in Cal- yeah, and in California now you can't go to public school. Yeah, <laughs> unless you and you might not be able to homeschool soon. Right, you know, so I don't. How even, who controls? By that? the way, if we have a law that says you have to get vaccines in California, why do you have to give consent on anything? Why why consent them for anything? Consent who? What do you mean? The parents. Why should we even bother consenting them? That's it's, what it's the next the law. bill is coming out Why don't we just right say, now? you know, That's you, what the next bill you don't is have a choice out. on this. It's the law. So I'm not going to consent to you because it's the law. That's what they're trying to go to next. Isn't that the next bill? Is it the SB 18? It's kind of like, if you don't. Is it AB do, or is it SB? It's, I mean, one of, it's, I mean, it's one of those. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah. But it's, 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 Tell it's, us about that briefly. Well, I, the, all I know about it is that it's something that we should be paying close attention to because supposedly the bill's wording comes, the basic Canada is that if you don't do, if you don't follow these recommendations, if you don't do the mandatory this and the mandatory that, then we actually can take your children away from you, that your children are actually a property of the state if you don't follow. We can come into your home, we can... Right, it's a, it's a sneaky way to get at homeschooling, I think, right? Is that sort of what it is or not? Uh, you know, it's interesting. Because that's what my some of my homeschooling patients have said. Yeah, well, maybe that's why they did it that way, but I feel like it's a threat to anybody, anybody, homeschooling well, yeah, or not. It's the back doorway. It's like we talked about in the previous podcast about about making regulations so burdensome that they're not actually banning something or doing something they're they're making it you know they're making it so that you have to comply because to do to not comply is too difficult if this is you know i all right so i want to end today's podcast on um a positive note because we've you know we've been slamming things and like that so Uh, i was watching i was watching uh uh my student and i were hanging out waiting for a birth yesterday and we were watching the twilight zone from 1960 the episode was from 1960 and it was called i shot an arrow in the air all right okay and it was about a spaceship that took off and they 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 lost it on radar and it turned out they thought they were on an asteroid but they turned out they were in the mojave desert and they all killed each other and because they thought they were running out of water and all that stuff and but anyway so i shot an arrow in the air triggered me my memory and there's a poem and she said yeah i heard that that poem and i said yeah it's by henry wadsworth longfellow and I, so I looked it up, and I never, I, and I hadn't read the poem in probably forty years. Okay. And I read it, and it, it brought, it made me choke. Oh my goodness. So I want to read it to my listeners. Yeah, sounds good. Here's a, here's the arrow and the song. Is this a good note or a sad <laughs> note? We're gonna it. start no, it's crying. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. By Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Okay. Where's I shot an arrow into the air. It fell to earth. I know not where. Everyone's heard that part, right? Mm-hmm. For so swiftly it flew the sight could not follow it in its flight. I breathed the song into the air. It fell to earth. I know not where. For who has sight so keen and strong 
that it can follow the flight of song. Long, long afterward, in an oak, I found the arrow, still unbroke. And the song, from beginning to end, I found again in the heart of a friend. Hmm. So with that note, that. and all the negative stuff that we had, such beauty can be still found if we tend to look for it in the right place. Hmm. So don't look for it in throwaway journals. <laughs> and don't look for it on documentaries yes. at night. But I think you should watch the truth about vaccines. Right. And don't look for it in all the negativity that we find in the press and on Facebook. But turn around, look at your kids, look at your partner. Right. Uh, give them a hug. Yeah. And uh, thanks again for listening. This has been podcast number 110 of Dr. Stu's podcast. We look forward to seeing you next time. Find us on iTunes. Send us an email at askdrstu at gmail.com. <laughs>